Hey guys, it's the MPG Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hansel. What's up? I got Billy, Billy Norris, Wiseman Law. How's it going? It's going great. Going great. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... I kind of wanted to give a little bit of background. I think like a lot of people know who you are. Like I know you guys' office in the last year has like experienced a significant amount of growth. You guys are getting pretty busy, uh, but I don't think a lot of people know your history. So in Savannah, coming up to this point, um, so where where are you from? So I was born and raised here, actually, okay. um, and I never got away. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I tried at one point, but it didn't work. And when you're an only child. Uh, it's tough to get away, yeah. you know, with, from your mama and all that. But uh, I grew up here. I uh, went to high school at St. Andrew's School okay. on the island. And then I went to University of Georgia. Okay. And I was a business major. And then um, uh, I ended up not knowing what I was going to do, <laughs> as many people <laughs> as probably many people, do. Yeah. And I ended up going to law school. Okay. And I uh, went to Mercer in Georgia, so I stayed pretty close. And uh, came back to Savannah to practice law. Okay, and so um, when you got done with Mercer, your mid twenties, where was the first place you worked when you got here? So actually, um, the funny thing was in law school, I really wanted to do real estate law. Okay, but uh, and this was I was graduating around two thousand six, so this was kind of right when the market was exploding in yeah. a way, um, before you know everything kind of fell apart, and um, I could not get a job in real estate. Um, and I didn't look, you know, really hard, but I did look, I was, that was my preference was in real estate. And, uh, so I ended up going into litigation. So I, uh, was very fortunate. I was offered a position, at um, Duffy and Feimster, which is uh, Dwight Feimster's firm. Um, there was, uh, two other partners there, Jack Strother and Matthew Bush. They're, they're all three of them are excellent attorneys here in Savannah. And so, uh, I did pretty much the exact opposite of real estate. Uh, my first cases were domestic okay. cases and divorces and things like that. So uh, that was how I cut my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently you didn't like love doing that kind of work. I mean, like, you know, some people are cut out for it. but um. Yeah, I mean, uh, divorce law and like many areas of law. And I think this is something that a lot of new attorneys and young attorneys, you know, learn the hard way, myself included, is that... Um, it's an adversarial job, and uh, there's a lot of you know a lot of people may hear that and say, well, every job's adversarial. You know, you're always competing against your competitors and all. But you know, law I think is a little, almost like a combat sport because <laughs> you know sometimes if you win, the other person loses. You know, yeah. clearly loses, and you know you get it's very clear in like criminal trials. You know, if you're doing a criminal trial, I mean, you're going to either have a, a guilty or a not guilty. I mean, there's no kind of gray area. In and there's there. real ramifications, right? People's lives and people's careers. Exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. I mean, you know, it, there's actually, and I did criminal work too, but there's a lot of pressure on you uh, because you want don't want this person going to jail. You don't want them having a, a huge blotch on their record. Right. You know, so, uh, you know, it's, it, I mean, everything's stressful and they're all their own little animals, you know. But uh, that's kind of how I started off and I also did personal injury. Okay. And uh, and I still do personal injury today. Um, not a whole not a whole lot of it, but I still do it. You know, I focus mostly on real estate, and I also uh, uh, cut my teeth on uh, estate planning and probate. And okay. you know, that's um, you know, probate is when someone passes away, and we're trying to get assets out of their estate and distribute it to their heirs or their beneficiaries under their will. 
and uh, estate planning is the other side is, is when you're actually drafting the will and trying to make plans for these people. Which, is it my imagination, or that process seems like it's a little bit more complicated in Georgia. Is that the case, or is Georgia like pretty lenient as far as probates go? I think so. Okay. Um, you hear different things for different states. And, yeah. And even in Georgia, every county is a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> and Georgia's only got 150-something counties, yeah. right? But, you know, uh, it's every, every, every place is a little bit different. But the process is pretty much the same. You know, the, the timelines are pretty much the same. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are uh, frown on probate. You know, they're not real excited about it. You know, right. one, you're dealing with someone that, you know, usually a loved one that's passed away. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that'd be tough. Yeah. But, but two, I mean, it's expensive. It's time consuming. I mean, it's not immediate. And, and oftentimes, you know, when I see it with, with property transactions is, um, you know, people are trying to sell a house. They're already under contract for a house, you know, and it seems like it just gets in the way. You know, because we have to go through probate uh, most of you know on, on these types of cases first before we could sell that property. We have a situation like that right now. We've been waiting about six weeks for it to finish out probate. I don't. They came to us though, like letting us know it's going to be in probate. But yeah, we're looking at maybe middle of October, which is yeah, and that might be if you're lucky. If I'm lucky, yeah, yeah, because I think you know with COVID and um, you know, so COVID's done a couple of things. Um, one, it's you know. It, it's it's made it's made the probate process more virtual, which mm-hmm. is a good thing, um, because now you know we have virtual hearings for the first time. Really? Yes. I didn't uh, hear about that. Yeah. So, uh, and most of the courts are doing that. Okay. In Georgia, but and Chatham County has done it. But what happens is, if you know you have the person that's supposed to be just say uh, appointed executor of the will, uh, and that's the person that's going to sign the deed at closing, then uh, now instead of actually going into court. They could do it, um, you know, it's like through a Zoom call. It's usually WebEx. Okay. But, you know, they could just do it that way. So it's very convenient for folks, especially if they got to travel, you know, if they're from another state or, you know, they're not actually in Savannah, which oftentimes they aren't from the same place as the person that died. And now it has caused uh, delays, the COVID has, because of um, uh, just short-staffed. You know, I mean, the the... the all the different courts, the Superior Court, State Court, and all these courts, and Probate Court, which deals with a lot of these property transactions because of that. Um, you know, their people are sick. Their uh, procedures have changed in the office. You know, they're having to screen mail now. Um, you know, people can't just walk in and stuff, you know, so um, it, it's making things take longer. Do they have any kind of, um, from the people you know inside, do they have like a timeline of when that gets back to normal? Or it's just like, we're just going to wait and see? I think, I think we're waiting and see. Like everything else, you know, right, yeah, like, like, like the schools yeah. and every, I mean, you know, we don't know what, when the normal is going to return and what that's going to look like. You know, I mean, and personally, I'm, I'm hoping that the, the courts retain some of the virtual hearings because that, yeah. that's convenient, you know, yeah. for folks, you know, they don't have to actually come, you know, come to town and all that. Um, but, you know, we're, everyone's eager for it to get back to normal. And I know the right. courts are too, you know, it's just, um. I mean, they've done the best they can with what they're working with, you know, and it's it's been hard on everybody. And this I, is another thing, too. Uh, real estate in Georgia was deemed an essential business, yep. which was awesome because uh, <laughs> other states it wasn't. And if you talk to folks in those states, they, it was crazy. It was yep. like it just stopped. Uh, but the the probate courts and all that, you know, they'll tell you they weren't deemed essential. So even though they're still operating and stuff, you know, they don't have the same urgency 
that, you know, we see realtors and investors and folks have that are buying and selling properties. You know, they're on a different timetable than those folks are. I think, um, I hate to like say there's like a silver lining, but almost with this whole COVID thing, it almost seems like the future, I heard, uh, this is actually not an original line. This is uh, from my friend Curtis. He said that the whole COVID thing has brought the future to right now. And I think it's kind of true, right? Like with the virtual hearings, like was that going to happen anyway? Maybe, but it's kind of nice. Like that's like the silver lining, right? Is now they do allow that kind of stuff to happen, which might push them in the direction of like coming into the 21st century and like yeah, utilizing yeah. some of this technology that, you know what I mean? Well, it seems like in history, whenever you have uh, like a calamity, like a war or something, yeah. you know, technology steps up a little bit. And yeah, it becomes more of a part of, right? Like that's the old dying and the new coming in. Kind yeah, of thing, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, I, so going back, so you start practicing uh, uh, litigation and then, so then what, how long do you do that for? So I was at uh, uh, that law firm for about seven years. Okay. Uh, they treated me really well. I was, uh, you know, I have all love for those guys. And then um, I left that firm uh, to kind of, the firm was already going, but I, I left that firm to join up with a personal injury lawyer in town. Okay. And uh, in that firm, and we, you know, had expectations that I was going to do big things. And, um, and so, you know, I, you know, it was kind of a, a big move for me, you know, because it's one thing to be in an office where you're comfortable and you, you kind of have a practice going, but to kind of switch that and to go into like, you know, an all one focus practice, you know, all personal injury all the time. And, uh, you know, so it was a big move, but it was that, that firm ended up being very successful, uh, where I went to and, um, you know, and I, I'm not taking credit for it at all, but I was very grateful to be a part of that and to be a part of a firm that they say started off kind of humbly and then just grew and got really, really successful. And so I was with that firm for a few years and then, um, there was an opportunity, uh, finally. Now, when I was at Duffy and Phoenix, so there was an attorney there that practiced in real estate. And uh, I got a little bit of experience there. But I did get uh, an opportunity with another firm in town uh, that was more real estate focused. And, uh, you know, I, I took that opportunity. And I was there for a few years. Uh, I learned as much about real estate as I could. I, I, I loved real estate. Um, and you know, I started refocusing my practice towards real estate and, uh, practices that go around real estate, like, uh, like, uh, probate and, um, business and stuff like that. And then, um, I, I formed my own firm. Okay. Um, and that was kind of, you know, the direction I was going in then was just a role of my own firm. And then, um, you know, like you said in the beginning, then Wiseman, uh, came to town. Right. And, uh, and they, you know, uh, were very nice to me. Uh, they made me uh, an offer to join their firm and open their Savannah office, and, and that's where I'm at now. And Wiseman is, uh, you know, a large firm in the state of Georgia. You know, they have many offices. Uh, this is their Savannah office. They've got uh, lots of lawyers there, lots of staff. They've got an amazing support team. I mean, they, you get, I get all the support in the world with them. And uh, they've got a huge knowledge base. I mean, there are so many competent attorneys in that firm, and in the firm I'm at, that have been practicing real estate their whole lives. So it's just incredible, you know, that, you know, if there's anything I don't know, you know, I, I could get the answer right away, which is a great feeling. Um, when Wiseman came to town, did they approach you or you kind of like sought them out? Did you know somebody there? Like how did that marriage like happen? 
Well, I was introduced to them by a, uh, uh, a mutual acquaintance, and um, I really didn't know they were coming to town. You know, I just, uh, I was just, you know, I like people. I like getting to know people. Yeah. And, um, and I knew Wiseman was a leader in real estate. And so I just took the opportunity to, uh, to, to meet the leaders in that firm. And, and it kind of went from there. Okay. And how long ago was that? That was. So uh, that was last, um, you know, last fall. Wow. So, so yeah, so we're coming up on, you know, one year here soon. And, uh, and then, so Wiseman, uh, officially opened its office in November. Okay. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't realize it had been that quick. Yes, I know. Well, it's been a crazy year. <laughs> the year has been nuts. And I know your guys is like the farm overall, like you said, how many do they do again? How many closings a year? It's like something they pride themselves on, right? Yeah. I mean, Wiseman has done thousands of, did thousands of closings last year. Are you able to say like how much does Savannah do? Are you able to say that? No, I, but we've been, we've been very blessed. Okay. I mean, we have been, uh, we've done fantastic, I think. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, you know, obviously we want to continue to, uh, for people to get to know who we are and that we're here and, uh, you know, you know, have people, ex- you know, we, our goal is to give a, the, the best possible closing experience to our clients. And uh, so, you know, we're just trying the best we can and, you know, to do that. When... Wiseman's like Savannah Branch open. Was it just you? So like no. I don't know how how does like a law firm even work? So like I know is it like decentralized? Is there like a hierarchy like there isn't any other business? Well, so um, uh, you know Wiseman has many offices, yeah. and th- this could be the same with any firm that's got many offices. But you know it's there's a an administration. I mean there's a staff. You know there's a managing partners and things like that. And so um, you know there there is a structure to the firm. So even though we're the Savannah office, you know, we're supported by, you know, the main office in Atlanta. Right. But I've always like wondered, like, because I don't know anything about like the culture, like surrounding, like the way that um, law offices work. So like, I've always wondered, like when there's like three partners on the header or whatever, like at Wiseman, like how it's like you and then there's a couple other partners that work there, right? Like, do you guys all end up at like at the same like tier? Like, is it kind of decentralized? You guys just work as a team or is it like, like, if you or is there like somebody there that like when they had to put their foot down like they are like the, the yeah no i got you um well like i you know every firm's different you right. know like for instance like a small to medium-sized firm may have one partner that manages the firm and and that's it you know and that person calls the shots as you get bigger and bigger you might have a group of partners uh who collectively make big decisions but you still have maybe a manager that's dealing with the day in day out stuff as you get bigger you may have non-lawyers uh assist with the management of the firm you know employee decisions and and you know staffing decisions and you know things like that um and so that's kind of how it grows you know but you gotta think there's so many lawyers out there that are solos you know i mean even myself at one point you know you just have one attorney or you have one or two attorneys so there's lots of different ways to structure um, uh, a law firm, you know, but so many of them are just so, you know, small or, you know, or just small partnerships. I've yeah. always wondered that because I always know, like, you know, like in the movies, like you see, like, everyone's yeah. like working to be partner, you know what I mean? And I never knew, like, what does that even mean? So, like, does the person that started, like, they give, like, a little bit of equity or do they give, like, a huge, like, how does that, and that's what I'm trying to ask, right? Like, yeah, well, it um, depends on the firm. You know, and, and er, again, every firm's different, but, you know, you could have some firms, um, you have equity partners 
that that do they have an ownership interest in the firm and then other firms you could have non-equity partners or you have both you know so it all it all just depends on the firm how that's set up okay but you know it's you know every 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 firm is different they have a different structure and all that but yeah you're right i mean for many people you know achieving partner is a like the is is a dream, you know. That's what you put in all the hours for. <laughs> yeah. Well, Billy Wise or Billy Wiseman, Billy Norris, partner. I see that at the bottom of your email. Yeah, account. yeah. I'm I'm very grateful that they uh, that Wiseman made me partner, and you know I've got a, a fantastic team here. You know I've got uh, another attorney in my office, Michael Knudsen, and um, you know he managed one of the busiest offices at, for Wiseman in Atlanta, and they they brought him down, and he's a fantastic lawyer. And then we have another lawyer, Amber Seymour who, um, it, you know, also is born and raised in this area, um, knows a lot of folks and is great at closings and is just a, a super person to work around. And, you know, we got great staff. So, I mean, it's, it's awesome. You know, I'm, I'm really lucky. Yeah. 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 You guys have a great firm. Um, so let's shift a little bit. So let's talk about your investments because you have how many rentals? So, um, I, gosh, I, I'd have to, let's see, I've got, uh, two duplexes. Okay. I've got a vacation rental on Tybee. I've got um, maybe five more single family after that. So what's the story? Like, how did you get into real estate investing? When, when did you pick up your, what's your first property picked up? When did you pick it up? What's the deal with that? So, I mean, I think um, for me, it starts with my parents. Okay. You know, and, and so my parents had rental properties growing up. And so that was very comfortable for me growing up in that. <laughs> yeah. Because I think a lot of people, I mean, you know, rental properties are not easy. Yeah. Uh, even, even fix and flips and all these types of investments. I mean, you know, it, it sounds, it's like a grass is greener on the other side argument. Like you, you look at it and you see how well people are doing and, you know, people say, oh, that's great. You know, you got these rentals or whatever. It's not easy. I mean, there there are working investments. Like you've got to work them. It's not like putting your money in a you know a mutual fund and just letting it sit there and letting the manager you know handle that. I mean, it's work. But I saw it, um, you know, from the inside growing up. And then you know now I know why my parents always complained. <laughs> <laughs> they always complained. It was very hard for them. But so uh, so yes, yeah, so I saw that. So it was just very comfortable for me. Okay. You know, so I always just felt like I was going to get investments. And uh, so anyway, so I think when I got out of law school, I purchased uh, a house right away. Um, and that was in 2006, right before the market started changing. Did you overpay? I don't know if I overpaid, but I don't think I got the deal. Got you know it. what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. Um, maybe I did, but, you know, I, I felt like I could have probably done better, got a better house. You know, this is the thing. I rushed the purchase. I just, I was still in law school. I was still living in Macon. And I bought a house with only looking at it one time. And I didn't even move in it for like a few months until after I bought it. So, uh, you know, I had, a, I had a roommate already lined up who moved in, you know, okay. into the house before I even got there. So, you know, I, it, you know, but it's learning experiences, you know, I mean, in real estate, I mean, that this game is, is, is a game, you know, yeah. I mean, you've got to learn the rules and you're going to, you know, make mistakes, right? So, um, so that was a that was a nice house. I mean, I was happy with that house, but that was my first house. And then um, I got married a few years later. And when I got married, my wife bought a house. All right, now um, she bought this house. Uh, the The intention was is when she bought it, 
what we're going to live there for a while. We may live there long term, but we also had the, the house I had. So we decided to make the house I had a rental property instead of selling it. Now, you know, there's different theories on this. All right. So I'm not saying what's <laughs> right or wrong, but, you know, the house I bought uh, was that was a 30 year mortgage. OK. All right. So I wasn't like crushing the equity on it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So um, was it the best house for a rental? I don't know. And, you know, and I wasn't very diligent back then. But did it cash flow every month? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, and, you know, that's a that, that's one thing where I can't, um, I'm definitely, definitely differentiates me from other investors is that I never kept up with the numbers like I should. <laughs> so, like, if I, I, I just look, you know, because I just look at these investments because almost all my investments, and now one of them has been paid off now, okay. are on mortgages. All right, so I don't look at as how much money I'm making. I'm just, can I pay the mortgage? Can I cover the expenses? And that's always been my mindset, and I've been comfortable with that. Uh, now, if I had been more a more focused investor, even now, then I would do more than that. You know, I would I would look at numbers, more numbers. You know, how am I doing? You know, can I raise the rent? And all this stuff. I was kind of, I'm more of an autopilot guy. Okay. You know, I get the house, get someone in there, put it on autopilot. You know, and just try to be a good person to the tenants. So um, so anyway, but yeah, it did it did cover. Actually, it may not have even covered the mortgage. Now that I think about it, that first one, <laughs> I don't think it, it may not have. It was close. Okay. okay. And then, so we lived in my wife's house for a few years. And then um, this was, now we're post 2008. Okay. All right. So say 2009 to 2012, we're starting to see foreclosures. Right. Okay. And at this time, the foreclosure market, I don't know, I haven't bought a foreclosure in years, <clears throat> but the at, when at this time the foreclosure market what would happen is is the house would be listed and I, I don't think we had Zillow back then you know I don't even remember yeah. I, I really don't remember how we found houses but I I found a house you find a house you'd like and um and all my and, you know this was a single family house and um you would uh you put an offer in on it right you yeah. get a realtor and put an offer in it sounds pretty simple but then what would happen is is they would say thank you for your offer we're taking other bids right now. And uh, that was my first experience with that. Because you would think, well, gosh, you know, if you put an offer in on a house, you're asking, you're putting the offer in right what they're asking for. Yeah. You know, if they're asking for 70000 you put your offer in at seventy, but they're not getting back to you. And uh, they're basically taking the, the best offer they can. So I learned that one a couple times. And then we finally got one. And, uh, you know, it was, it was probably what many folks are doing nowadays. It was a foreclosure property. I had to, you know, I had to replace all the floors, you know, new carpets, new paint, new kitchen, all that kind of thing. And uh, we put a tenant in there, and then that one got put on autopilot. And then probably a year later, we got another one. Same thing. Now, I was, now I'm buying these on 15-year mortgages. Okay. All right. And then I got uh, another one. And so I think in like a three-year period, we got three homes. Okay. All right, so, and, 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 you know, the funny thing was, is um, I don't even know how we got the money to buy these homes. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> but, you know, my wife and I were both working, and uh, we didn't have any kids at that point, and I think we were just better with our saving, you know. And uh, so we got these homes, and, um, you know, they're, again, you know, the same thing every time, and, uh, you know, kind of the similar process. They're all foreclosures. Uh, you know, you kind of come in and, and I remember one of them and I can't remember which one this was. 
the realtor I had, you know, was kind of working with the bank, right? And it might have been the and so I so anyway, they that realtor knew had some connection. And you know, that the person was like, "Look, if you offer this, you're going to get it." I mean, you know, I just I just still remember that. You know, like they just told me what to what to get. And so anyway, uh, we were very fortunate to get some houses very quickly. Then um, we had an, now this is what a lot I think for a, a casual investor, uh, I think luck has a lot to do with it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, we were uh, lucky enough to hear of someone that I wasn't real close with, but I knew loosely who passed away. Okay. And this person owned several properties in Savannah. And uh, that's how we got our duplex is, uh, you know, we were able to reach out, uh, you know, to the family. Hey, you know, we're interested in in purchasing this. And uh, that's how we ended up getting a duplex. And we got a duplex in Ardsley Park. And my wife and I ended up moving into that duplex because we wanted to live there. House hacking. Yeah, what's that? House hacking. House hacking. Yeah, have you heard of that? No. Okay, so that's exactly what you're talking about. It's like, it's like a bigger pockets. Do you know what bigger pockets no, I, I don't. I'm sorry. Okay, no, it's okay. <laughs> Casual investor. Uh, it's like when you like buy a duplex and you like live in one side and rent the other out and it like pays for the mortgage. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that was exactly, yeah, that's exactly what we were thinking. And, and, you know, at the time, everybody thought it was a great idea. And it was a good idea, you know, but you tell people, they say, oh, that's great. You get help with the mortgage and all that. So we got, we got a pretty good place and we lived in Ardsley and um, we may have picked up one more house during that time. I can't remember. And, um, and then, uh, you know, the thing is, is we're, you know, we just need a bigger place. We're going to have a child. So, um, so then we moved from that one back to the first house I had. And, um, you know, cause uh, we liked that place. It was really nice. It's just, it was time to move. And then I moved back to that first one. And then, um, I think from that first one, we may have picked up another duplex after that. And same thing be in the right place at the right time. You know, I got a call from a, from an agent that I, a realtor that I work with. Hey, I heard you're looking for something that's just hit the market or is about to hit the market. And I was like, yes, you know, got to get it. And, um, so, you know, I just, I feel like, I feel like almost with every one of our purchases, there's been an element of luck involved, but you know, it's like that thing. It's like, you know, you've got to set yourself up. I was able to take advantage of those opportunities when they presented. Now, if I didn't have, you know, enough cash flow in the bank or whatever, I would not have been able to, to purchase those. And I mean, network becomes your net worth, right? Like if you didn't know the people that had put you in touch with those deals. Yeah. Like, yeah. Right. That's all about like what you said. I don't know if you remember, I don't know if it was on before we started talking. I think we were saying like, you just like to get out and meet people and talk to people. Um, <laughs> it sounds like that was like a huge part of, kind of finding those, right? I mean, it, it was, I mean, I think maybe only a couple of our deals did we do those completely on our own, including the house we live in now, you know, almost every investment property was, uh, some kind of connection helped out that that's absolutely true. And, and not just investors, but just sometimes just people in general, you know, out in the community. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, self-manage? So I, I do, um, but I am uh, starting to transition my properties over to a uh, property management company here in Savannah. Okay. Uh, Sago, and I, I think they're fantastic. What is it? Sago, S-A-G-O. I don't think I've, 
I've not heard of them before. I'll have to get you. Yeah. Uh, you have like I'll have to get contact info. Yeah, yeah. They they've been, they've been they've been real good. Um, but did you have like a history with them, or do you like know their owner? Yeah, I know I know the owner, okay. uh, Stacy Jane. She's real nice, real nice lady. And um, you know the thing is, is that the I still work full time as a lawyer. Yeah. So and I've got a second job. <laughs> At my house when I go home every day <laughs> with all my kids. Yeah. So you know it is very hard to to self manage uh, at this point. It, it was easier when I had less things going on. Now it's pretty hard. But um, you know the I think one of the, the thing is is if you're doing it my way, and you 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 know go through a property management company it doesn't have, it could be any property management company all right as long as they know what they're doing, they may actually make you money. Because they could rent it maybe for more than you're renting it for because you don't know the market. Yeah, or so, keep better tenants, right? They know screening, they be, know all that stuff. Better tenants, they're on top of the tenants. They're doing uh, walkthroughs. You know, they're doing all the things you know you should do, but you're not doing <laughs> because you're too busy. Yeah. You know, and so they're doing all that stuff for you. And if they know the rates, they will say, you know, and that, that's what happened. The first one I turned over the property management company, they increased, the, the rent went up higher than I was charging already. So even with the fee I had to pay them, I still made money. I made more money even with the fee. Dang. So it was like, it was a no brainer. So with that kind of win in your sales, do you think you're going to end up buying more than, or like what's your plan for investing? Like you want to dial it in? You want to like keep just kind of like, well, I, I want to diversify a little bit more now and not put all my eggs in one basket with real estate, but I am in the process of buying another house now. Okay. Um, so I am getting one more and then I'll just see what happens. You know, I don't think I could turn it off. <laughs> uh, you know, cause again, I grew up with it. I was, I'm comfortable with it. I'm familiar with it. And, uh, you know, it's like a, it's like a love hate relationship, you know? I mean, it's not something I like really excited about, but it's like what I know. Yeah. You know, and so, um, you know, yeah. And, Plus, I mean, you deal with real estate guys all day. I, and I love <laughs> dealing with real estate people all day. I do. You know, and th this sounds like it's not true, but it is. Like, when I do a closing and um, there's a new, like a first-time home buyer in there, yep. I am genuinely happy. Like, I am so happy for these. Like, sometimes I'm happier than they are. Like, they, they look a little moody or stressed, <laughs> but I, I'm really happy. And I, and I love the same thing with investors. You know, if, if I'm doing the, you know, I did one the other day and this was this person's first investment property. And I mean, I, I mean, you know, I wasn't high-fiving because it was COVID, but I was almost about to. I was literally about to hug this guy because <laughs> I was just so happy for him, you know? And I, you know, I just think, I, I like seeing people go through that path because, you know, the thing is, is if you get these investment properties, it's, it's again, it's another type of investment, okay? I'm, and I'm not saying, that's why I, that's why I said I'm trying to diversify now uh, with my money and put them into other things besides real estate. But the thing about real estate is that, you know, it's going to pay you every month as long as it's managed well. And then if you have an issue, all right, now it's not the most liquid thing in the world, right? But if you have an issue or, or say you anticipate an issue, and a lot of times is what we see is it's people that are older that have already kind of had their careers and they're in retirement. And uh, you could dump that property and just get a whole bunch of cash, Yep. You know, and I mean, it's, it's, I mean, that's the great, it's, it's there. And especially in a market like this, you could sell those really quick. I think like uh, Warren Buffett has like this theory, right, about buying stocks or buying anything, which is that like you're, the whole deal is right in the purchase price. So as long as you purchase it at a great price, you know, as long as you make sure you don't have overpaying or whatever, make sure you're analyzing everything correctly. I think you're absolutely right. Like you never have a hard time getting rid of 
people were still buying, even though like real estate dropped by like what twenty percent um, in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. That's still eighty percent of whatever the volume was was still happening, right? Right. Yeah. Well, it's like you know they said the market's like a roller coaster, you know, and what happens is it starts going, it starts getting rough. I mean, people come off and drop off and all that, but you know the people that know what they're doing, they don't leave. Right. You know, in real estate, they stick around. I mean, some of the top agents, like the real the realtors that I know, you know, they survived two thousand eight. You know, and that, that's they've already been through it. So, I mean, you know, they, they know how to, to stay in the market. I think it's like a lot of people talk about in the free market, that's one of the the negative things of free market capitalism is like it always has like these downturns. But I think that's inherently part of the system is cutting that fat, right? Like when you have a downturn, the people that run the be- – like I shouldn't speak in generalities. Like I'm, There's plenty of great people that lose their businesses during those downturns. But by and large, a lot of those people that are losing – their jobs or losing whatever that are in business for themselves. Like they might not have been in business in five years regardless. Right. Like it's like trimming the fat off the economy before it goes back up. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, is you know, you have a lot of opportunity in this country and you know, sometimes, you know, the market is going to be your opponent, you know? And so, you know, you know, there's one level where you're competing with your, your, your contemporaries, you know, I mean, if it's in real estate investing or whatever, you know, well, you know, when I went to buy my first investment property, I got outbid, you know, I lost that, but you know, there could, if, if the market starts, you know, shifting, you know, then, you know, you've got to adjust to the market, you know, because if I'm still, still focused on that person, you know, then I may lose everything, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'll say that in, um, in my business working with investors, um, I've seen, I've been seeing all types now. Uh, and I, like, for instance, like a year ago, I sat down and met with uh, a mother and her son who were going to start a fix and flip company. <laughs> and uh, they were asking me questions and all, you know, and they had gone to a seminar. And I think that's kind of like uh, the thing that's becoming very commonplace now is, you know, and I've and I started to hear that more and more. So and so, you know, went and took this class online or you and I don't even know how much that stuff costs. You know, they they, they went and, and, you know, paid for something that tells them how to do this. And, you know, and I see the contracts and stuff and I'm like, oh, my God, these I can't believe they're using these documents. But, um, (laughs) you know, these people are out there in this field now. Yeah. Which tells you like, you know, like this, this investor market, you know, what, how it's really grown and what it's become. And I don't know about in your experience, like, have you seen, so we've seen kind of a increase in out of town money too. Yes. Pouring in, it seems like recently, especially out of California, New York. Um, obviously you're dealing with a more, you know, a larger diversity of people. So like in your, like, is that what you guys are seeing too? I think with investors. Yeah. I, I, it doesn't, um, I mean, it doesn't like even show up on my radar now, you know, like if I see a buyer that's from out of state, it's almost like that's normal now. Now and that wasn't the case 12 months ago. I don't think so. I, I don't think it was. I felt like there, there was more local, but you know, investors are different. You know, they've, they've got different goals. I mean, you got to think on the regular market, you know, people are buying a house to live in. Yeah. You know, and, and so sometimes, yes, you would see, you know, people come in from out of town and all, all that. But, you know, the investor market's a little bit different. I mean, their their goal is usually not to live in that house. Yeah, that's true. I think they said, like, there's like a statistic out there. It's like 60 or 65 percent 
of all the homes in the city of Savannah are are uh, rentals or you know non owner occupied. Yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy. It's a huge. Yeah, that, that's a lot. And I don't think that's normal. I mean, based on what I well, you know. I've seen this multiple times now in closings. I mean, we're in this crazy time right now where the interest rates are so low. I mean, you could get an interest rate in the twos if you've got a good credit score. In the twos, all right? And if you've got a decent credit score, you're getting it in the threes every time, all right? Which is just insane. But I've had multiple buyers now telling me in our closings that um, this is cheaper. Their mortgage with their taxes and insurance, with their escrow, is cheaper than renting. So you could That's buy a, a house. Buy. I know. Yeah. But I mean, it, you imagine that you could you could actually own your home, and it's cheaper than renting. I mean, that's insane. You know, I mean, it's it's like why not then? You know. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, going back, so you said that you're going to start diversifying outside of real estate. So yeah. what do you? What's your plan then? Like, well, I, I, I'm without getting I'm, too in depth. Yeah, I mean, I'm just on. looking at more of like you know stocks and things like that. Okay, have you? Yeah. Are, is there anything that you're like bullish on right now? Or no, I don't know. I'm still, <laughs> or I'm just still like learning. Somebody and just like I'm still learning. But you know, it, it's interesting that I feel like many of my friends nowadays are uh, playing stocks. It's a great game. Like I mean, I love real estate, but like the stock market's like my stock. like I keep up like on the quarterly earnings and stuff. There's some of the property you know companies I love. Yeah, I've been hot on Tesla for like. Ever. I feel like a lot of those companies are that I was like anything that's in new technology or whatever. I feel like the millennials have like a better yeah. grasp, and so my friends were all gravitating to Tesla in like 2013. Oh wow! So I was like, you know, I've always kind of done that. Though. I felt like that's a great way. So like anytime that you you should ask your kids, hey kids, what companies have you yeah. heard of? Yeah, <laughs> I remember. Uh, this is random, but I remember I was listening to a Gary V podcast. Okay, yeah, I love Gary. Uh, and uh, he said something about you know how do you know what to invest in and all. And, and I'm going to paraphrase this, but he said it. Uh, he basically walks up to like teenage girls in the airport and looks over their shoulder and sees what apps they're on. And he's like, you know, he's like, whatever that 14 year old is using, that's what I'm interested in learning more about. He called TikTok. I mean, I know there's like a little bit of like uncertainty as to what happens now, but like how big is TikTok? They had 100 million downloads or something in America. Hundred million downloads. I don't know. Is it a good time to buy TikTok? No, I mean, I have so. no idea. You don't know anything about like the TikTok thing going on? Well, I know, I know that it's, it's um, you know, they're they're forcing the sale, the U.S. government. But I say it is is now a good time to buy stock because once it, is the sale goes through, is the price is going to go up again? I mean, I don't know. I don't even know if it's publicly traded, but I know Gary yeah. Vee has been talking about TikTok for like years. Like I yeah. remember when the first time he said TikTok, I was like, no I don't know, freaking way, dude. Like it's I, like a, <laughs> a video app of people just like singing. And I was like, there's no way. But now it's morphed into this. You know, yeah, I'm I'm so behind because I remember, uh, you know, I didn't even hear of TikTok till this year, <laughs> and then it, and it's just some boomerang videos of people bouncing up and down or something, you know. And I said, what's the big deal on that? But yeah, I, I that, that's the thing. I, I don't know these things either. I, I I don't know what's next. Like, do you do a lot on social media? I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to be better. You know, social media is is another love hate. You know, it's like, you know, I feel like to be competitive, um, you need to be on social media yeah. as a business person. I feel like it's a good thing for your friends and family to, to kind of communicate with them. Because I think people have an expectation now, you know, that, that you know, that this, you know, when we want to see what each other's doing, you know. But um, I also don't like, 
you know, how it could have become like this habit, you know, and it's like, you know, it's one of the, I want to check it first thing in the morning. Like, you know, I know that's not healthy, you know, but you know, so it's, it's a, it's a weird thing, but yeah, I, I try, I try my best at social media. I think it's like, what do they say? It's like the, your dopamine receptors are like constantly putting out dopamine when you're on there. Right. It's like the equivalent of, uh, like pulling a slot machine lever. And, like, we're all getting it like, all the time, <laughs> which is crazy. But, yeah. yeah, I think you are right. In order to stay competitive, I think social media is, obviously, it's here, right? Like, yeah, you know, hundreds of millions of people are using it every single day. Billions, if you, you know, are going global. Like, um, Well, I know with, with realtors and, and, and even investors, I mean, it's a great way to, to market your properties and yeah. market yourself. Yeah, you well, know? I mean, people are going to be listening to this on Spotify, iTunes, like, Oh really? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you didn't know hey, is, t- is TikTok next? We we'll put our properties I don't on know. TikTok. I see. Uh, <laughs> I see this TikTok always has this ad that comes on my Facebook that's like TikTok for business. Like it's yeah. so cheap. It's like five dollars for. Jeez. Yeah. Holy moly. But we started like some new programs, so like we're kind of hip on Hulu right now. So Hulu's seeing like really good growth, and you can get on the Hulu prep platform for like five hundred bucks. Which is like nothing. So how does that work? So do you have Hulu at all? Yeah. So you know yeah. how you get the ads. Like, so they're like, do you get the you pay for the premium version or you just pay for the version where there's still ads? I think there's still ads online. So, yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's uh, there's just an ad platform like on your computer. You just go on there and like upload a video and then give them five hundred bucks and they review it and then you just throw your ads in there. Like uh, so, like you could be watching. Wow. Uh, I don't really know what's on Hulu, but like I like South Park. What comes to mind? Yeah. So you could be yeah, watching South, South Park, Park yeah. and bam, Mulzer Perkins. Uh, commercial comes through. Wow. Which is crazy that we live in that time. Because, like, I mean, 10 years ago, you were not getting that kind of space unless you were a great big business, right? Like, you weren't getting on... Like, Comedy Central is what had... uh, What has South Park. You weren't getting on Comedy Central as, like, a small business. Now, for 500 bucks, you're right there next to the biggest brands. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's crazy. crazy. It's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's the same with Spotify, too. It's like... um. We just, I just had like a, a meeting with their ad guy. It's like 1500 bucks for like three months will hit like the demographic that we're looking for. And wow. Like, yeah. It's not that, I mean, it's a lot if you're like new or whatever. Now, like, if, if so on Spotify, I mean, is this like a visual ad that pops up? It does up? both. Okay. Yeah. So, if, so what they actually do, which I didn't even know this, they have technology that's <coughs> like in your phone, he said. So if the phone's in the pocket, they can sense that and they only do auditor, audit, audit, um, audio. Audio. But when you pull it out, person pulls it out, they're looking for a new song, and you know how you get the ad, and it's a video. They they know when you're on your phone, so they only show you that video ad if you're. And so how do they how do they know the demographic you're looking for? So they track they track the information on their customers, right? And then you just say like, hey, I'm like looking for people, 25 to 65 plus that are into real estate that live in this part of the country. Yeah. They just target those people. Jeez, that's amazing. It's crazy. You can, you can do the same thing on Facebook, too. On Facebook, I actually put a video up like a couple weeks ago. You can take your customer list, like somebody, like let's say you have like a bunch of leads, like we get like thousands of leads, right? Upload it into you, Facebook, and it will, Facebook will only target those people. Wow. It's that specific. Well, you know, the thing, I, I forget what it's called, but, you know, one time I looked up this website of, uh, you know, another law firm. Okay. And uh, and so then I'm I'm on Facebook and then the the you know what what's that you know I'm saying it's the, the Facebook pixel is what it's the called. pixel yeah. yeah yeah and this law firm kept popping up all <laughs> I said oh good I was trying to I had to keep closing it over and over it's the pixel yeah I um somebody that we're actually trying to model that's in town it's Savannah Toyota have you ever been there yeah okay yeah. so I don't know if you've been to their website or anything recently but like once they've got you 
there's no getting away. Like their ad systems are so good. Yeah. And so we've been trying to like figure out, like, you know, I, I know like the they're... guy that used to work for him that did that stuff. Oh, really? Yeah, I can introduce you. Okay, I don't even. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Let's yeah. He he that. was he. That's I think I'm pretty sure he worked for Savannah Toyota, and that's what he did. And he, he like did built the, those systems. Yeah, out he did all originally? the digital marketing and all that. Dang. Okay. Yeah. Is he like on his own firm or something? Now? Yep. Okay. Yeah. yeah, he's got his own company. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. Get to know him. Yeah. So they're good. They 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 sink their teeth in and don't let go. Yeah. Yeah. They do. Yeah. Which does Wiseman? So does Wiseman do a lot of like online marketing stuff or? You know, I don't think they do. Um, they they may have an on, I mean, I know we have an online presence, but I don't know um, necessarily how, you know, it, what the the marketing budget is for something. You know, I have no idea what that is. And I think with law firms, like especially what you guys do, it seems like probably like relationships are way more important right than just like mass marketing. Exactly, yeah. especially with real estate and closings. I mean, it's it's not about marketing. It's about relationships with your. Referral partners, you know, if you're with the realtors and with investors and, and lenders and all the folks that you use you. I mean, that that's what it's about, you know, and, and providing good service. And, you know, the good service used to be, you know, a, you know, a friendly reception area and, you know, just, you know, someone that will get back with you. And now, I mean, good service is, is, is more, you know, it's, you don't just need a, someone to answer your phones. You know, you need to have people that are responding on the weekends that are going above and beyond and, you know, doing all these, you know, because there's just so many issues that come up now on, you know, on, on closing. And, and especially now, I mean, a big thing now is, um, you know, is, is uh, timing with the lenders, yeah. you know, because the lenders got so busy with these interest rates that, you know, you have to be very flexible uh, to, to meet their, their schedules, you know, because I mean, you know, some of them, their business has doubled, you know, I mean, they're just doing so many refinances and stuff. So, you know, we have to, adjust too, you know, you shift whatever you want to call it and, uh, you know, do whatever it takes to provide that level of customer care. But, you know, it used to be different, you know, like, like I said, it, it used to be, you know, you know, you had an expectation, you know, if you just, you know, ran a good shop, then the business will come, but that's not the case. It's very competitive out there. Which I should mention that, uh, well, that's how we got connected, right? You got like a yellow letter in the mail off one of your rentals. Is, oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Like, I think I see him over here. Yeah, I got a bunch That's, of them. So we actually yeah. switched Yellow Letter companies. So like for you guys that can't see, so like before we used Yellow Letter HQ, and they would send me back like a PDF of all my undeliverables. Well, now the new company we use, they just send me back those postcards. So like if it's not deliverable, I get them all back. And I have see, to go put them into an Excel like manually. So last night I entered. In so three, it's more work. I entered in three hundred of those things last night. Geez, why don't you just ask for the Excel? You think they'll just do that for no, you? No, they wouldn't because they, they, don't don't get, do they don't get the report, right? I don't know how Yellow Letter HQ does it. It's kind of crazy what some of these companies can do. I don't understand. Like, So we've tried because there's kind of a lot of real estate guys that are national brands that are moving into yellow like mail, yellow yeah. letters and all that stuff. So we've been kind of doing research on how they do that, and I don't understand it at all. Like The mail system is is a, is like hieroglyphics I mean we're eventually we're probably I'm sure we're gonna get more serious about it right now we're just dabbling but it's crazy yeah. I don't understand how they keep their margins so low and stuff but I mean like they're definitely making a killing like they get like 80 cents per yellow letter that, that dang we're saying. yeah but you guys are happy with it I mean that's yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we're happy yeah. yeah actually our biggest um, our biggest return item has been yellow letters to this whole thing really yeah that's how it's always been then number two has been online um, well I get the um just from having the, the investment properties, I get those letters all, well, they don't look, they're not as pretty as those, 
but I get stuff all the time. I mean, I'd say probably once a week I get something. So it is it's getting saturated out there. Yeah, it's getting saturated. Yeah, you're yeah. you're probably on an absentee owners list too, right? You can actually go to the post office and just like fill out a thing, and they'll stop sending them to you. I'm not. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure about. It. I have to go look into that. I don't know. I don't know. I know because sometimes we get them back, and that's what like there's like a code. Because I started looking up the codes because I yeah. get them back now, and that's like one of the codes is like somebody requested that they don't receive this specific. Oh really? Code. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I, we get them back. Do people take them? They fold them up and they like write like a whole letter <laughs> about like how we're like pieces of garbage for sending them letters. <laughs> like mail it back to us. <laughs> like you have way too much. Yeah, time. That's, that's a lot of effort. Yeah. Oh, you'd be surprised how many calls we get too. And people are like, "I'm getting my lawyer involved. Like you can't be sending me mail." Like. Like, well, I guess I'll find. I'll wait for the call. You know. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, there's you get people get stuff all the time in the mail and the value pack yeah. and all these things. You know, is that illegal? I don't really know the. I I, don't I think know. mail's fine, but I wasn't. I I don't know. You never seen like a lawsuit? <laughs> like, I, I've never seen. A, I've never brought a lawsuit over things going in the mail. I didn't realize either. We were looking up. Um, we were like looking into texting services, which we don't do for yeah. the record, but we are gonna for a second. I didn't Jiffy Lube. I don't know if you heard of this at all. They sent out text messages to all their customers who had put their numbers in their database, but like they didn't have a checkbox that said I can receive text messages. Yeah. So technically Big they problems. didn't get like permission. Mm. Fifty million dollar lawsuit. Wow. Over text messages. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. That'll put a business on. Well, there there's definitely a lot of restrictions on telephonic communications. Which do you see a lot of people like get in trouble for that kind of stuff? I don't see it. Never? I mean, no. rarely, whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just not something I see. Yeah. Um, so what do you do outside of real estate? I know you're training for this race. Yeah, I try to um, I, I try to keep a few projects going at any point in time. But, you know, my, my biggest my biggest love is my children, you know, my family. My wife, I, I love my family. Um, but, yeah, you know, I'm, I've um, done a couple big races, and I like to have a big race. But I feel like, you know, I've got to do something like that or I will do nothing. Yeah. Like, if I don't have this goal that's, like, kind of big, you know, then I, I'm probably going to sit around and do nothing. And it's happened that way. And, uh, but, you know, and, and I didn't tell you this earlier, but I, I also, we have a short-term vacation rental on Tybee. Oh, okay. And I now we self-manage that, and that's getting challenging, <laughs> too. <laughs> that is challenging. <laughs> But, you know, I get a lot of, uh, when people find that out, a lot of people ask questions about that. You know, it, it feels hot. And I notice with, um, lately, I've had a lot of closings for people buying vacation rentals. Oh, it's it's the thing to be in. I think that people got a little scared because of COVID, but once that market came back, it seemed yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It's interesting, you know, because, you know, four years ago, I didn't even know what one was, you <laughs> know. And, you know, I was very nervous about even staying. Have you ever stayed at one, a vacation rental? Uh, yeah, we stayed at yeah. a couple of them, yeah. Yeah, so even the first time we did that, I was a little nervous, you know, you know, because it's, it, it's so different from the hotel, you know. But, uh, so, yeah, I mean, that that's it. I mean, you know, when you say so work, you know, we do, we you know, we're a closing-focused law firm for real estate closings. Uh, I get off work. I try to squeeze in a, a, an exercise or two <laughs> if I'm lucky, uh, but most of the time it's more of a mad rush to get to pick up my kids from school, <laughs> and then uh, and then I come home and then you know you you handle all that stuff in the evenings. Then you just kind of pass out. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, the, once you have kids, it's tough, right? Like I mean, like kids are obviously the love of your life. I'm not complaining about kids, but w- like we actually, me and Win on the last podcast episode, we talked about this, like the work life balance thing. It's yeah. like really tough once you start. When you know when you have a family and then you're also trying to build this 
career build you know help build the Wiseman firm here like yeah I imagine that that becomes extremely challenging it, it does it's very stressful and then you you know you find yourself working like whenever you can you know like you try to squeeze in an hour here or you know I'm squeezing a couple hours on a Sunday and uh you know when the kids go to sleep or something you want to go squeeze in some time or, or get in very early in the morning you know but it is a work-life balance and um you know, but it was in, like just looking at like investments, you know, like, you know, we probably got most of our investments before the, you know, we had uh, all these kids, you know, it's just you're just a little more focused and stuff, you know, and it does get harder. Would you think that it probably would have derailed that if you had had kids sooner? I don't know. It could have. I mean, I just know how it happened yeah. with me, you know, yeah, yeah. but um, we, we haven't been, you know, it's just been a different ball game, you know, since having the children. How old are your kids? I've got uh, four under six. Holy four, six, God. and under. Yeah. I need to like get some lessons. So we're about to have a five, <laughs> a three, and a one-year-old. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. 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 You're, you're, congratulations. <laughs> Thank congrats. you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, need to, I didn't realize that your kids were all that young. I'd, I'd be happy to give out lessons, but I, I really don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I have no clue what I'm doing. I'm just winging it. Um, I hear you. That's what everybody says, right? Like, nobody's ever ready to have kids. Like, you're never... You don't know what you're doing. Like, there's like, there's like, hey, here you can have, you can make babies, and they're just like, here now you got to raise a human, and like, there's no like lesson for that, right? Like, no, how do you do it it's, it's it's on the job training. It's on, definitely. It's and on you can the talk job to training. people all you want, but like every kid seems like they're a little different. Every family structure is like a little different. Like, yeah, and and everyone has different um, ideas about how to raise your kid too. You know, yeah. I mean, what's right and what's wrong, and you know. Um, you know, I'm trying. You know, I find with my oldest, like, it's easy for me to put more time into her, which isn't the right thing. You know, it's just she's more. She's in a learning stage. You know, she's just sucking in whatever knowledge or whatever it is I give her. You know, hey, read this. Or let's read, it, and she just gets it. You know, and I and I think the challenge for me is I've got other kids that you know they're just in different stages, and I've got to, you know, uh, share that with everybody. You know, and that that's that I think that's been a challenge for me lately. How do you? I mean, what's the solution to that, really? Like, I mean, how do you, you just got to try to be mindful of just... Yeah, I, th- I think you got to be mindful, you know? It's like, I, you know, because like I said, my oldest, I could actually go through a book with her now, and she could read it, you know? But we have to we have to practice it a few times and get the words, you know, a kid's book. Yeah. And then what I'll need to do is take that same book and then read it to my three-year-old, you know, and just to keep that reading going so she hears words, you yeah. know? Yeah. And then I don't know what you do with a one-year-old. So you just kind of <laughs> keep up with them. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you guys going to have more kids? No. You're done? No, we're done. You're we're definitely done. <laughs> we did pick up a dog. We grabbed a, We picked up a German Shepherd Oh, puppy. I saw that on your Facebook, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that dog's awesome. It's awesome? Yeah. It's going to get big. Yeah, he's, he's already... Uh, so the first vet visit, he was 12 pounds. All right? And this was like, I don't know six weeks ago and now he's up to 28 pounds holy cow and he yeah so he he's growing quickly but you know um i like the german shepherd breed i've always had them i've felt uh, very comfortable with them and um comfortable controlling them you know like my last two german shepherds were completely awfully strained so i mean there's no greater feeling than you know if your dog goes out your front door he'll come right back Right. You know, he's not going to bolt or, you know, run off or whatever. You know, he'll, he'll go back, go, you know, come right back. And then if, you know, if I want to walk around the neighborhood, I could do it without a leash, you know, and that's a great feeling. And so this dog, I feel like it's going to be very good at that. 
Uh, this dog is very good on a leash, so I know that's coming. The challenge with this dog is he's just a nipper. You know, oh, really? he, he's just biting everything, biting everything. So we've got some uh, behavioral work, you know. Okay, and that, yeah. So you have, like, obedience and behavior. So we've got to work on the behaviors, you know, teaching that. Because we got all these kids, you know. I mean, it, you don't you want to eliminate that now because if they get bigger and, you know, people don't work on that, then he could bite someone and mess them up. Oh, yeah. And you the know? Nip, yeah, the nips become seri- well, much more yeah, serious. Yeah, they, they, you got to learn now that that's not to be tolerated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have the kids been good with them, though, so far? Like Yeah, the kids love the dog. Yeah, they're, they're, they love him. They got a, a different bow in his hair every night. <laughs> oh, you have all girls, don't you? Or I have all it? girls, all yeah. All girls, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy, yeah. Girl dad. I'm in the, I'm in the all girls club. Okay. Well, you yeah. got you got one girl, right? Or? One girl, yeah. At the, oh, well, and the newest baby will be a girl, too. So okay. So one boy and then two girls, yeah. Which is yeah. the total blessing, yeah. Well, you, yeah. It softens you up, right? Like, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, it does. It softens you up. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very happy. I'm very happy. Um, that's good. I think everybody's chasing. I think, like I, I love that um, to hear that. A lot of people don't say that, right? Like everybody's chasing happiness. Very few times people say like, "I'm happy." Well, you know, I think it's uh, perception and expectations. You know, I, um, you know, I thought of this a few weeks ago for a talk I had to give, and you know, you could take um, some statements that may not sound, you know, that, that sound pretty negative, and you could flip it pretty easily. And make it sound very positive, you know, about your own life, you know, about where you are in life and all that. You know, I mean, I, you know, you know, you can take about it, say it about almost anything. But, you know, I think I've learned to, um, you know, fortunately, you know, I, I, could, I could try to keep things in perspective and I try to be grateful for what I have. And, uh, and, I, and I try to keep expectations of what I can do and where I'm at. You know, and I and I do think I'm pretty happy. And you know, I have problems. Everyone's got, yeah. you know, things come up, and and work gets stressful and stuff. But you know, I do think, you know, it, a lot of it's up here in the brain, you know, in the mind. And if you could just kind of keep the right attitude, I mean, you know, it, you you stay happy. You know, why why be upset all the time? You know, is that something you feel like you've taught yourself, or something that um, you've always like? Is that something you've always had? Like, is that from your parents, or is that something you've taught yourself through? I, I think it's both. Okay. But I, I do think you have to work on it. Like, for instance, like, if, uh, uh, you know, if I, I'm just, like, on the, the phone all the time, if I'm on the TV all the time, you know, or, like, consuming news or consuming information, I will notice, like, I get more cranky. Really? Yeah. I, I'll notice that. So, um, you know, I, I do think, you know, I've got to consciously, like, do what people tell you to do. You know, don't be the first thing you do in the morning. You shouldn't be, you know, consuming information last thing before you go to bed. You know, make that more about the family time. And I, I think that stuff is true. I think it works. One of my mentors always tells me that. He says, for the first 30 minutes you get up, you shouldn't touch your phone at all. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's always my, well, first off, you shut off your alarm and then you're like, it's just there. Yeah, right? yeah. Like and plus, so, it's hard with, you know, you got to go to the bathroom and all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it just comes easy to, like, just scroll. But No, yeah, no, I haven't I haven't heard that, but I, I agree with that, you know. I mean, you know, it's it's, it's like a, you know, it's, it's, again, it's a love-hate thing. You got, you know, the technology is amazing. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, what's it, you know, our parents didn't have all this technology. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, do we do we necessarily have to embrace it as much as we're embracing it, you know? I think that 
it's so addictive that we don't even like look at what the consequences might be down the future, right? I, it might even be like our generation's like cigarettes, right? Everybody just does it. And it's like, oh, it's fine, it's cool, like nothing's gonna yeah. happen. Then you might realize, like in twenty years, they do a bunch of studies and they're like, actually, it has more adverse effects than we previously yeah. thought. Yeah. Well, and I think our kids, like the young kids growing up, because you know, and I'm not, trust me, I'm not a perfect parent, and I don't, I don't even know what's right or what's wrong, but you know. You see, the it sounds like they recommend, you know, you don't want your kids having more than a couple hours of screen time a day. But, you know, I know I could go out to restaurants or places where when I used to go out. You know, I would see kids on their phone the whole time or on the tablet. Like, I don't know what's that's, what's, it, that could be doing something to their brain. Like you said, the dopamine, I mean, it could be re, rewiring stuff. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, we're kind of transitioning to it. But I don't know about the young kids, you know, and I do worry about that. You know, I don't know what they're going to be like when they get older. And hopefully it's not even, a, it's nothing, you know. But, you know, you see young people on it so much that, you know, is it going to affect their happiness, you know, or, and all that? I don't know. I don't know either. It will be. It's a, it's the big experiment, right? America's like the big, the big social experience, the big science experiment with, with the bones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, I still have a memory when I was in, uh, high school so i graduated in 99 okay and there was uh someone in the class that had a cell phone and they were like kind of new right then and i remember this this kid a good good guy but he was like cursing someone out on this cell phone (laughs) and i was like and and it was like the whole scene was just awesome because i was like wow he's got a phone wow he's telling someone like he's cussing someone out on a phone Like he's like a real, like he's a really bad dude, huh? No, no, he was just doing business or something. I no, no, know. I mean like that's like oh, the perception, right? Like this yeah. dude's like awesome, got the phone, cussing people out. Like he must be like, yeah, like, yeah. It, yeah. It was, it was. That was like my first experience, you know. And then, then you know, like a year later, everyone had one. Yeah, you know, and that that's when it kind of broke out. It's transformed business, though, right? Like I can't imagine doing business without one now. Like could you like without the internet and. Well, what you notice is exactly, oh yeah, you have to, but like with the phone, like especially I think it being synced to email has, is a game changer because now it's not, you know, it used to be you'd answer, like I remember even when I first started practicing law, you would answer your emails at work. You always had emails, but you'd answer them at work. Well, it's like at a certain point that evolved into, well, you might answer them again at home, you know, from your home computer or whatever. To where it's at now is that you're almost expected, I feel like, to be able to respond to emails 24-7 because of your phone, you know? So if, like, you know, someone's texting me at 7 or 8 o'clock at night, and I could see, or not texting or emailing, I could see that on my phone. I mean, you know, the expectation is is I could respond back to that person. Yeah. So, you know, you've kind of become a 24-7 consumer and a provider. You know, which I think messes with that work life even more, right? Like that work life balance. Um, it does. Yeah. And you know, I, I, uh, I, you know, I work with a lot of fantastic realtors, but I see some realtors on their emails. Like if you email them, they'll say, "I'm only checking emails for these times." You know, so I think there is a push. Some people are, are trying to stop that 24/7, um, you know, information come or you know, business stuff coming at you. Which I think is probably. Uh, valuable thing to do. I really should get on that. I see that too sometimes, and I'm always like, I always think like, yeah, I really should do that. And then I like don't, and then I'll be at home, and we'll be like, not really during dinner time, but like maybe after dinner, everybody's just around. And the next thing I know is like, oh, I got this important email. Like I need to respond to it right now. It's always at dinner. <laughs> right at dinner, everything happens. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, my phone starts going off, and um, so 
anyway, though, let's. Uh, so, question I want to ask in the beginning, I kind of forgot. So, through COVID, did you guys stay busy like the whole time? Yeah. So, what happened with COVID is there was a, uh, and it's just my opinion. All right, there was an initial dip where everyone kind of, yeah, yeah. put the brakes on it because I mean, you know, um, I I remember doing a closing in January, and there was someone in the closing table who was had family in China. And this guy was telling me, he's like, this is going to be, this is really bad. Like this is, and that was the first time I was like, really? And then I started like saying it to other people. Yeah, this guy told me it's going to be really bad. And then, you know, in March when it kind of just exploded, it was like, shut the front door. Like everyone was scared to death because I think at that time we really didn't know. You didn't, and we still don't know a lot about yeah, COVID, right? Yeah. But we didn't knew even less then. And so we didn't know, you know, how sick you would get if you got it and all this stuff. And, you know, people all of a sudden stopped going to work. And uh, so I think real estate hit something there. And I think it affected the investors too, right? It kind oh, of, yeah. yeah. We didn't spend a single dime on marketing the whole month of April. Yeah. Because we just didn't know where we'd want to put capital going forward because we were just like, you know, yeah. what's going to happen here? Yeah. And it, and, and it, didn't, it didn't turn off the faucet, but it, it turned it down a little yeah. bit. And, um, and I, it didn't take long though. I mean, this is the incredible thing about real estate. You know, again, it was kept open as an essential business, which meant, you know, realtors were still employed. Uh, uh, home inspectors were still employed, you know, lenders were still employed and still working. And, um, you know, so once people kind of adjusted and just kind of realize what the, this crisis was, then, you know, they kept working. Yeah. And, and then it was like this summer was one of the busiest summers ever in real estate. I mean, it was just insane how much, how many deals were going through and closings. And that's, thank God, is because of the interest rates being so low. You know, so I don't know what would have happened if the interest rate stayed high, but it was, you know, it took a lot of people um, being comfortable in a crisis. Because you got to think, you're trying to sell a house, well, you have people coming in your house who you don't know. You know, so you got to give it to these sellers and these buyers because they had to get a little bit out of their comfort zone and they still do to, you know, to make these things happen. Yeah. You know, but I I think, I I mean, you know, I don't know where we're at as far as a country with this crisis, but I feel like the people I talk to, like the optimism is back, you know? Have you experienced, like in your experience, a lot of people that you know, are they out of work right now? Or like, is most people, you know, like still employed? Yeah. Most people I know are, are still employed. Um, you know, I knew some people that got furloughed, uh, and then got their job back. I know some people that did not get their job back. Did they find new jobs or still out of work? Both. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I mean, as far as attorneys go, I mean, you know, attorney work never stops. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. I mean, like, did attorneys take a dip in 0809? I don't think so. Did they? Real, real estate. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they, of course, but, um, I mean, I'm just, you know, there, there's only a handful of real estate attorneys yeah, that do yeah, real estate. Yeah. You know, real estate's a hard um, profession to, to just dabble in. You know, you got to be all in. And, uh, but, you know, like all the other stuff. Now, I know like bankruptcy has slowed down, which is okay, that's great. counterintuitive because you think, well, all these people are having all these problems. But um, what I understand is that the, um, the lenders and like the credit card companies and all this, I mean, they're not pushing any um collection of debts right now okay you know they're just kind of holding back and and now they may be right now but for the last few months they haven't i'm curious because you know like i see like i see both sides but like i see like a lot of doom and gloom but like i so i it's important to me like i've been asking everybody that comes on 
like what it's been in their experience just because of like everybody says the same thing you did which is that i don't really know anybody you know I don't yeah really, and i think that obviously it's terrible for the people that have lost their jobs but i do think that that gives hope as far as on the come up the only thing i would add though is that i think that we have a little bit of a skewed perception in here because georgia didn't really close down right like if i talk to my friends from like california or michigan it's like their whole like um tone changes just because yeah. I think they were affected so much more because the shutdowns were so much yeah yeah, yeah. especially in the manufacturing and i mean we we know that through you know just like with the home flips and renovations and stuff the manufacturing i mean this is slightly related but i uh was looking at a new stroller for my children and uh, i bought one back in um in the spring and then i went to buy another one um a couple weeks ago and they they stopped making them which one is it the the stroller yeah oh it's uh it was an allen sports racing stroller oh, okay <laughs> we use the bob ask. so oh the bob the yeah, bob's yeah. a great one yeah, yeah that's that's supposed one. to be one of the top ones yeah the bob's a great one but yeah they they stopped making it so i i presume that's something to do with covid you know or or you know they're on a they're not making them right now so yeah it did i i think georgia was a little bit different you know we were, we were very aggressive with the reopening and stuff here which you know yeah some people yeah, didn't like it was controversial yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess let's get off the subject. Let's talk. So, who do you follow? Um, where are you getting your like education from right now? Or you know, intaking information from as far as like, are you listening to what are you listening to the audiobooks right now? That you, or you know, what I mean, you know, I um, I probably get most of my information, legal information through the firm, and and just through grinding it, you know, and talking to folks like you. And uh, other lawyers and realtors. Right now, I mean, what, who am I listening to? I mean, I'm not really consuming a lot of information right now. Uh, it's more of just like, like I'll, I'll tell you what, the, the podcast I'm listening to right now is Talking Sopranos. Oh, yeah, you were telling me about that. I love yeah, that. Yeah, That's yeah. an amazing podcast. Were you like a big Sopranos fan before? No, but I, I liked Sopranos and, uh, because it was like, you know, this, this epic thing back in the day. And uh, but I just think the, the the two people that do the podcast they just got a great dynamic, so it's just very entertaining. Which is two the, of the characters off the show, right? Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Michael Imperioli and Steve Sharippa. Which they probably already have chemistry coming off that anyway. Yeah, they're 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 buddies, you know. Oh, so, okay, yeah. Yeah, so that's a good one. Uh, and then you know, outside of that, you know, um, I, I listen to some motivational stuff occasionally yeah, just to bring me up. You yeah. know, like if I'm starting to feel down or something, um, I've been listening to some Jordan Peterson. Okay. Stuff. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, yeah, you know, I told you this. I like David Goggins. Yeah. Goggins. Yeah, I love David Goggins. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Well, especially you as a runner, I'm sure. He's like even more relevant, right? Like, yeah. Did I tell you I met him? You did. Yeah. Yeah. I met, yeah, I met him. I met him. Just random. Right after I had, I had his book on uh, on audio Audible, and I just listened to the whole thing driving up to Tennessee, and then I met him like the next day. It was very random. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. He's a hardcore dude. He is. He's he is. He, yeah, but you know, it's it's a good. The thing is, is if you, uh, I like it. It's not for everybody, but you know, when you you listen to these people's stories and and you keep them kind of in your field of vision, you know, I think it's good to, to keep me motivated, you know, and to to working hard because these guys know how to work really hard. Yeah, and I think I, I I get a little bit of pushback for saying this, but the only way to be really successful, I feel like, in business, is to work really hard. Right, like, and so it's like inspiring, inspiring to hear, you know, yeah. Gary V's and the David Goggins and the 
You listen to Grant Cardone? No, no. Never? Who's that? You never heard of Grant Cardone? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you introduced me to so many things, I don't know. So. <laughs> I'll have to show you after. I'm not like, um, I want to be careful. I like don't endorse Grant Cardone like, um, as much now as I used to. Just because yeah. he's, he, but he's, he's got this great book called The 10X Rule. And it's basically like whatever goal you have, times that by 10 and shoot for that. Yeah. And it like 10 times your effort, 10 times your goals, like 10 times everything. Like that's his whole. Oh, really? Yeah. He actually started a apartment syndication. Like it's called Cardone Capital. I think he did that like five years ago. And they've got a billion, 1.7 billion under management now. Wow. Yeah. Like 5,000 units or something crazy. Well, you know, I, that's something David Goggin said about um, your potential that I think most of the time you're only running about 40% of your potential. Yeah. And um, so I've done two Ironman races. The second Ironman race I did, I trained like very pathetically for. (laughs) (laughs) I basically, I got through one, which I trained hard for, and I signed up for another one, like within a couple of weeks uh, for like a year later. And so I just kind of started to thinking I could wing it. I was like, all right, I've done an Ironman. You know, an Ironman's a 140-mile race, swim, bike, and running. And uh, so I, I did a very lackluster effort for the second race. And I just thought I could wing it. And um, I got through the swim okay. In fact, I, I, I started swimming, and I, I gained weight. Do we have time for this story? Yeah, we got time. All right, this is funny. So um, I had bought this awesome wetsuit. It was like an amazing Roka wetsuit. And uh, I gained this weight, you know, I don't know, 20 pounds or something from the time I bought it to the Ironman. So when I got to the Ironman race, I could barely zip it up. And in fact, it was like choking me (laughs) at the top. Like I literally was getting choked. So I had to like unzip it down and it was like all this water was getting in. And it was just a disaster right off the bat. And then so I was so out of shape that uh, I rolled over onto my back, which is something you don't see people doing in the swim. And I was swimming on my back just so I could breathe like consistently. But I figured out some weird stroke, <laughs> like I made something up <laughs> and I was keeping up with people. And I mean, it was just like luck. I, so anyway, so I got through the swim and I got to the bike and uh, I, did, I did pretty good for about 40, 50 miles. And I got to mile, right around mile 50 or 60, I completely fell apart. And I had nothing in the tank. Like, I was dead. And so they have, like, aid stations spaced out, like, every 10 or 15 miles. And for, like, the next, like, 60 miles, anytime there was an aid station, I had to get off my bike. I laid in the grass, and I had the aid workers, bless their heart, like, literally, I was like, ice, ice, like, just, like, yelling at them. And they would like, and I would cover my body with ice because <laughs> like, I was, I was completely, I was a mess. And I, I, I was like, there's no way I can even get back on the bike. Like I had to like shock my body, cool, you know, all this water, all these fluids and stuff. And, um, you know, and then I, I'd, I'd be there for like 10 minutes. You know, if I, I'd set alarm on my phone, like five or 10 minutes and I'd get up and I'd, I'd take everything I got to bike to the next aid station. Holy cow. And so it was a disaster. And, uh, and I started to worry, too, at that point, if I could even finish in time, you know, or even if I could finish. How long do they give you? Sorry. I think you get uh, 16 hours or 16 or 17 hours, I okay. think, to finish the whole thing. Okay. Yep. Um, something around there. So anyway, so I, I somehow get to the end of the bike, 
and I, you know, like I can't even, I could barely move my legs and I, I get to the transition area and I'm sitting in a chair like this one and I can't get up. Like I literally don't have any strength in my legs and I've got to run a marathon. And I was like, this is it, man. I messed <laughs> up badly. And fortunately I was doing the race. There was a couple of friends there that I knew that were doing the race too. And I saw them in the transition area somehow. Like they were on the way out, right? When I, somehow I, I, I saw them there. And like one of the guys was like, I'll wait on you. And I was like, no, nah, you don't need to wait on me. He's like, no, I'll wait on you. And I was like, oh my God. And it forced me to get up. And I literally was walking like, oh, like, like, a, like, a, like a robot, like out of that gate. And <clears throat> I thought there was no way. There's no way I could run 26 miles. And the point is, is that I did and I walked a lot of it, but you, I had to go to a place where you hear David Goggins talking about you only use 40%. Like I had to find that extra in me and is there. And like, I will tell you like, and that's why I think I'm drawn to some of the endurance stuff yeah. uh, and endurance sports is because in work it's harder for me to find that. Like, you know, if you're working, 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 and then you get you get burned out and then you're done. You know, but it's like an endurance, like you can't just say you're done. I mean you can, but you really don't want to. Like you need to finish. Like you're forced to finish. And when you're being forced to do something where you have nothing left in the tank, you you realize that you actually have something there. And it is real. I mean it's it is a real thing. And I mean it still like gives me goosebumps thinking about it because I consider that that was a much slower Iron Man and I finished that race than my first one, but that one was like the epic achievement, you know, like that, that's the one I, I don't even think about the first one really now. I think about that second one. Like how did the heck did I even get through that? You I know? think you learned through adversity, right? Like, so you probably like, I mean, that's going to stand out the most in your mind and that's incredible. I mean, that's an incredible story. So, so, so saying that, but like, um, that second one probably is just so important to you because I, I think when things are harder, Right, you learn more, you grow more through that than when you train a whole bunch and then just show up and it's like, oh yeah, there's no problem. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah, I mean, you all you always learn from your mistakes more than you from your successes is what I've been told, and I agree with that. But you know, I think you know you actually grow as a person when you go through something really hard, and sometimes it's not it's not even a physical thing. It could be a a very challenging time in your life or dealing with someone that's sick or something. But, um, I mean, I, I mean, I think that's where growth happens, you know, because you're, what happens is, is when you get through that and, you know, you can look back on that. It's something to look back on that's built who you are, you know? And I mean, it's just like, I don't, I don't, could barely remember, you know, things I did a while back when I was in much better shape. You know, I was used to, I was in great running shape at one point. There's no real memories there. You know, nothing I'm, I mean, you know, I, I ran a, a very fast half marathon, say when I was in my early twenties, I don't, I don't even think about that. You know, I yeah. think about that, that I had to drag myself across the finish line. I mean, that was like, I was like, dang, if I went through that, you know, you could get through some of these other things don't seem as bad, you know? Do you not find that in business at all? Like, do you like, I mean, there's gotta be times I feel like when you hit that point in business, the difference is, is that in like an Ironman or a marathon, it's like an immediate, like, I have to do this right now, right? Versus in business, when you hit that wall, like, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, burnout. I think it's a lot harder to make that decision every day. Yeah, it is different. But, you know, I, 
one thing I think it, it does that helps me out a lot is when things get very stressful, I feel like I, it's, it's very hard. Like, you know, I'm very good at staying calm now, you know, and like even when, when things are going on or, you know, everyone's upset or we're trying to solve a difficult problem, you know, it's, I think it's easy to stay calm. Like, we'll, we'll get through it. And that you know? was totally self-taught? I think so, or, or through these experiences. But, you know, I used to, I mean, you know, I, you know, start, you know, like when I started off in litigation, you know, I would be so stressed out about stuff all the time, you know, always stressed. And, uh, you know, and I have, I feel like I have just the same amount of challenges now. It's just, you know, you, you've just gotten to the point that you just handle things better, you know, and you become a little more efficient that way. Because, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, I mean, we don't want to die young, you know? No, yeah. And I think there's something to that being stressed and dying younger. Like, um, have you ever heard of the guy? I can't remember his name, but he was the CEO or the founder of Southwest Airlines. But he said he never got stressed. This dude was never stressed, but he chain smoked all day long. He lived to be like in his 90s. Yeah. Yeah. And he said that that was like, they said it was a secret to your, to your longevity. He's like, I don't get stressed. You know, um, there's a lot to the health and the stress and sleeping and all that. But, um, you know, I was listening to this one uh, doctor on a podcast talk about it. You know, he, he says, you know, it's not about uh, trying to extend your life. Like, people are looking at that the wrong way. Um, and, and this is where you hear people that don't take good care of themselves. They say, well, when, when it's my time, it's my time. You know, like, you say, well, hey, you know, you got diabetes or you got all these problems. And they say, well, I'm not going to change my habits, you know, because I, if I die, I die. But... This guy's put it in a different perspective. He says, no, what, what ends up happening is it's actually very hard to extend your life. Um, but it's the quality of your life at the end. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, if, if you sit there and you just kill yourself, you know, not don't get good sleep, don't eat healthy, you know what I'm saying, just be stressed about work all the time, can't find that balance. Well, you may make it where your last six or seven years of your life are miserable. You know, and you're just a mess. Uh, and very uncomfortable, you know. So I mean, I think that's really the end game. Is, is you know, how do you make it where you know when you, your body is is taking care of you when you're at the end of your life, you know, and and you know you actually have some comfort, you can enjoy it. Is there anything more terrifying than the thought of like that happening at the end of your life because like you smoked or whatever? You know what I mean? Things that like I feel yeah. like that would like fill me with so much regret if like, like I'm not trying to you know everybody has different life choices. So I'm talking from a totally personal experience here. But I think that it would be tough to get to the end of my life and like have smoked or whatever, and then I have some kind of debilitation because of that. And I'm like, yeah, like, think about it. Well, they, they, there's a, a quote. I think it's to Jim Rome. Uh, I think that's the guy's name. And he says, you know, it's better to have a life of discipline than a life of regret, right? Yeah. yeah. And you know, that, that's the thing. I mean, you know, if if you get to the end of your life and you say, gosh, you know, I wish I didn't smoke all those years, or you know, because I can't breathe. And I've seen clients. I mean, it, oh yeah, it breaks my heart. You know, I see clients you know, that come in for wills or closings and they're, you know, they can barely breathe and all that. I mean, you smell the cigarette smoke on them. Uh, and smoking, you know, killed my father. Oh, really? It, it killed my father. And this is what's funny is like, um, he died of lung cancer, but I smoked until I was in my early thirties. Oh, you did? Yeah. I, I smoked and a lot of people don't know it. I was almost embarrassed of it, you know? Um, but I was addicted I tried to quit many times. I, I could not quit. I, I was always trying to quit, but I was a smoker, you know. But if if, if someone had said I could give you a pill that'll make you quit, I would have taken it. Yeah, you know, like that Chantec. day. 
So yeah, yeah, I know. I never did. I should have done that. There is one. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know why I didn't uh, take the pill, actually. Never uh, mind. I wouldn't do that. I, I mean, people get all kinds of crazy side effects from that stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But I actually, um, uh, I ended up quitting only because I got real sick. I had like double pneumonia and I just could not smoke. You know, I, I, I could not put anything in my lung. I just felt like crap. And then I was like, okay, you know, it was like two weeks later or something. I was like, I'm going to try it. And, it. and it helped. I actually got through it. But the point is, is, you know, years later, uh, for some reason I get a chest x-ray and the doctor, there's a spot in my lungs basically. And so I had to, you know, get another x-ray or, or whatever, CT of it or something a year later, still there. It's not growing. Had to get another one another year later, still there, not growing. They're just going to monitor it on like a five year thing now. And is that from all the smoking? Probably, you know, I mean, it, I, I don't know. I mean, there's something right there in my lungs. So, I mean, you, you know, I mean, people, you're, you, things like this happen, you know, everybody feels like it's not going to happen to them too. Right? Yeah. Like everybody feels like they can shoot the system. I actually just, I did. So did you quit smoking just like cold Turkey? Oh, yeah, no, but, you but I was sick. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was sick. sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but on the backside of that, you didn't need to chew gum or nothing. No, nothing. Okay, just like quit. Nothing. I feel like that's like an endurance. That's like your mind thing. That's going back to like the learning through adversity, right? That's what, okay, so what I'm trying to say is like, I'm trying to make it relatable. So like when I quit, which was just like a few months ago, like I just like, Dave Ramsey has this great quote, which is if you're a dog, you always are a dog. Like, you can never not be a dog. You don't just make the decision. But as human beings... What's so great about being a human is if you want to change, you just change. Like you can just make that decision and do it. Like I think about that all the time. So that's why I was like, you know what? I just got to quit smoking. So I just did. And uh, yeah, I think you learn a lot through that. You did know? you try to quit before that? Yeah, a bunch of times. Yeah. Well, what's uh, I think it's like a Mark Twain quote, which is like, quitting's easy. Yeah. yeah. I've done it a hundred times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, was, I was just going to say the same thing. That's a great quote. <laughs> yeah. A great quote. Yeah, yeah. Quitting yeah. is easy. I mean, like the first few days are the worst though, right? Like. Those first few days are hard. It's like with many things, the first few days are the hardest. Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, no, I, it was, well, I'm proud. I'm happy for you, Oh, man. thanks. I'm happy for you. Yeah. You're still in the in a sensitive time, though, if it's only been a few months. It's only been a few months. Yeah. Man. Just, I got to the point, though, where um, the smell of cigarettes now, it's almost, I feel almost like allergic to it. Like I'll notice, like if someone's smoking, I will notice it. But not for the reason that I want to have one. I just, it's like bothering me. Like I'm finding it hard to breathe. Like my, my nose gets stopped up. And I'm like, ugh. You know, it's almost like, you know, like for some reason, I don't know, fortunately, like I'm almost pushed away by it now. I technically like relapsed like a couple weeks ago, but it was like terrible. So I like don't count because I just was like, oh, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Were you drinking? No, I okay. wasn't, which is surprising because like I'd quit. Every time that I've quit in the past, I always relapse when I drink. Yeah. I think that's most smokers, right? Like, that's like the worst thing you could do. So luckily, I think what I'm about to say is true. I've not been drunk since I quit. So yeah. that's probably what's really helping me get through. The real test of time will be when that one time comes when I've had one too many. Yeah. Whether or not I buy a pack. But um, so what? before we go, there's one more thing I want to ask you about. Yeah. Your book. My book. You're putting a book out. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, I, I finally finished a book. I've been working. It's a it's a fictional novel based on a divorce lawyer. Well, it's not based on one. It's about a divorce lawyer and a and a client and they uh, and their misadventures. Okay. But uh, I I finally finished it, and it was one of those things that um, 
you know, it, it, just, it was just time to get it done. Yeah. I've been working on it for a long time. <laughs> so I finally finished it. So but now I'm, I'm trying to edit it and, and, and get it all uh, nice and polished. And then I'll, I'll see if we get it published. But I, I was telling this to someone else. Someone else asked me about it today. And, you know, I'm at a very good place because if, 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 I can't, if someone doesn't want to publish it, I'm okay with that. You know, you could just self-publish it on Amazon. It's out there and I'm done. You know, so I don't, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm just happy I completed something that's taken me years, really, to write, you know? And it was tough. It was really tough writing a book. How'd you get the idea? Like, what happened? What was the lead? I don't know. I, I just, you know, I, I just, you know, thought it'd be, it's like a bucket list thing, you know? You, you gotta write a book. You know, yeah. what, what's your book gonna be? And, uh, you know, and, and it was, it was, um, I mean, you know, it, it was weird because you have the story in your head. And I had the beginning in my head and the ending in my head, but you, know, you had to kind of think of figure out the middle as you went, and that's how I did it. That's but, awesome, man. Thank you. That's thank really you. awesome. I'm excited to read it. The, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Uh, well, Going to do an audible version of it? Yeah, I was I was hoping maybe you could do the voice. For it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we can work something out. Yeah, uh, but all right, man. I appreciate you coming. Yeah, no, thanks. Yeah, yeah. So, good good uh, talk. Oh, to where you. can people find you? Um, I always like to plug in the description. Yeah, so, so uh, it's uh, my name's Billy Norse, N-O-R-S-E, and uh, you just Google me, and I'm an attorney at Wiseman. So just and, direct all your inquiries to Wiseman. Yeah, yeah, do focus on real estate, um, but also do uh, probate and estate planning and some other things. So uh, you know, if I could help you out with anything, just give me a call. All right. Well, thanks, man. All right. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy.